and welcome to Podcasting the Past, a project of Glasgow University, helping educators collaborate, discuss and teach higher history. I'm Gabrielle Stars and I'll be your host for today's episode. This is episode five, Evaluation of the Reasons for the Development of the Civil Rights Campaign after 1945. Don't forget you can check out the link in the podcast description to access our tools and resources. Listen, baby. Do you feel that it's wrong to discriminate against a person solely on the basis of his race or color? Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. You don't have to worry. I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. We are fortunate to be joined today by Dr Peggy Bernash, a lecturer in the history of the Atlantic slave trade at the University of Glasgow, and Anne McMillan, an educator of history and modern studies at Brannock High School. Lovely to have you both here on Podcasting the Past. So, what are the key challenges in teaching this topic? With this particular issue, the the main uh, challenges are not letting certain factors dominate over other ones. Um, We've spoken in a, a previous podcast about kids having knowledge of certain aspects of the civil rights movement Mm -hmm. and this issue in particular the kids know about the bus boycott some of them know about Emmett Till and then some of them know about particularly um, Brown versus the board they should all hopefully know Dr Martin Luther King Jr Um, so because they are key components in this particular essay you want to make sure that you do expand their knowledge on those points but you want to make sure they're getting into the nitty-gritty on the other three factors that are there as well So it's about making sure that you are focusing on the things that they already have background knowledge on and building on that, but making sure that they are then brought up to speed on, for example, the Double V campaign that most of them have never heard of before. So it's about getting that balance between what they already know and what they think they know about the civil rights campaign at this particular point in its history and expanding that that world for them. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. you know, I was also thinking, you know, there's a lot of them um, jumping around here uh, with dates in this key issue. And also, like Rosa Parks is mentioned twice. Is that something that confuses the children at all? It can to a certain extent. Because Rosa Parks is one of the ones that they tend to know already, it's um, less of an issue in terms of making sure that they have a good understanding of it. Um, I usually encourage them when it's prejudice and discrimination, they focus on the boycott more than the actual actions of right. Rosa Parks. Yeah. Obviously highlight her initial spark, but you're actually focusing on the, the boycott. Then when you get to effective black leaders, that's when you can really look at Rosa herself in, in more detail. Um, so that distinction is usually something that really helps the kids. In terms of dates, kids love dates. They love remembering dates. It's their favorite thing in the, in the entire world. Um, a timeline's always a good shout with them. Yeah. Uh, by the time they get to hire, they're not just as keen on them in my experience, um, but like you say, because there is a lot of to and fro in this one, sometimes it is a, a good thing to have. Something I sometimes do, depending on whichever topic it is, is give them a blank timeline at the start of the year. And as you learn something, add to it. So it does become very messy in terms of uh, how it is laid out. But 
they can structure it in any way they want. They can add lines wherever they want. So it could end up being, you know, twice as tall on one side than it is long sort of thing. But giving them the freedom to add it how they want to do usually helps make the dates a bit easier for them because they've got a physical representation of what it is they've been learning about. That's great. And I guess that kind of then makes sense to them and makes it individual to their own learning style as well. Absolutely. Because if I make something up and give it to them, I always ask them for feedback and a lot of the time it's it needs more flexibility. Can we make our own version? Um, the pupils, I think, are getting a lot more confident in how they want to structure their learning, lay out their, their resources. So giving them the freedom usually helps with the learning process as a, as a result of that. Yeah, and it's great that you can kind of do that at higher as well and give yeah. them that bit more freedom, which Absolutely. I think helps them if they're then moving on to even further education. So is, um, is there any lessons that you've taught that you think worked especially well? Ironically, this uh, topic is one that you can sort of play about a wee bit because a lot of what we look at is, is obviously quite negative and uh, quite difficult to sort of plough through. Um, Horrible Histories have done a lot of excellent stuff on the civil rights movement and particularly um, She Sat on the Bus, which they then get really tired of me singing, but I will do it to them anyway. But what I also did with them was we listened to uh, She Sat on the Bus, watched the quote unquote music video, um, and I gave them the lyrics printed out. And before we learned about it in any more detail, we highlighted, we annotated all the things that we were aware of so far. And then as we moved through the bus boycott and Rosa Parks herself, we just kept on adding to it. So again, the pupils had the freedom of how they wanted to lay it out they love their highlighters and all these sorts of things um but we really focused on what have the lyrics missed out what do we know now that we didn't before what have the lyrics highlighted that's really important so whilst they're thinking about the song they should also then be remembering oh well actually that bit's not quite accurate or that bit fails to mention you know later on that a lot of uh, black Americans did go back to sitting at the back of the bus after the boycott. So getting them to remember it in a way that seems very sort of fun and uh, light-hearted can actually be a really effective method for them to remember some really crucial components. And I get to play the song over and over again to, to, <laughs> yeah, to drive them great. mad. <laughs> so um, Peggy, is there any latest research on this topic that you think the educators out there should know about? Well, absolutely. There uh, has been a lot of new research to give a wider perspective mm -hmm. on how we get to the 1950s, 1960s in terms of uh, civil rights movement. Uh, there's been a lot of new work on understanding the experiences of American soldiers in Europe during World War II uh, and their experiences uh, in terms of being galvanized and looking to make changes in terms of their civil rights, not just in the United States, but also overseas. But the understanding that uh, black civil rights organizations are far more uh, widespread than originally thought. You know, much of the time, uh, conversations are always around um, SCLC, uh, CORE, um, maybe SNCC as well. But the understandings that, that these, some of these key organizations also had coalitions 
with many youth organizations, mm -hmm. Christian youth organizations, political youth organizations that help to uh, bring more strategy and more people to to participate in in these strategies are also important. And that's something that in my experience definitely um, that the kids love is when you bring in youth involvement because it then they, it's a parallel for them. It's not just about what adults are doing but what children have been doing as well and children in history and young people in history and what kind of difference that they've made. Right, because too often we still think of children as those that need to be protected and that's not wrong, but they have agency too. They are thinking human beings that also want something better for themselves and for the future. And when I, when I say children and the youth, I don't just mean the very young, especially when you think about the horrific situations that they were put in for the children's crusade, but also young adults. I mean, when we think of 1955 in the Montgomery bus boycott, mm -hmm. and that's the first time we really see uh, Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King come up in Providence. He was 26 years old. He was very young yeah. and you know, was learning on the job as well, rather than how we think of him as this established, much older mm -hmm. presence that was so charismatic and, and, and changed the way we started to understand this movement. He was, he was learning on the job too, he was very young. So we're talking children, school-age kids, as well as very young adults. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So from my experience in teaching kind of civil rights in general, um, the only female that I'm able to bring into the classroom is Rosa Parks. Who else can educators be bringing into the classroom that's relevant and was important to the civil rights movement? Women played such a significant role mm -hmm. in the movement, often seen as, as the uh, passive backdoor organizers. But you had many on the front line, such as Ella Baker, who uh, has been had been working for forty years in in such a social movement, she was she was interesting because she uh, butted heads with <laughs> Dr. Martin Luther King. She was not into the idea of charismatic leadership. She she preferred grassroots organizing and, and radical democracy and and. She was. She believed that the oppressed should advocate for themselves, mm -hmm. which is why she left the SCLSC and ended up working with SNCC for a much longer period in time. Uh, she there's there's Juanita Jackson, who was a special assistant to the NAACP executive secretary Walter White, who is often talked about. But it was she that rallied the youth to collectively fight against racial injustice. You had women on the front line like Fannie Lou Hamer in Mississippi, a woman you know, who was in technically illiterate at the time, um, supposedly uneducated, but strong-willed woman who believed in racial justice and was physically beaten up by the police and imprisoned for it. And she went on to become a spokesman at the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. There are so many women who played roles in front and behind the scenes. So those are just a couple of, of women. But there are so many that, when I say we're working 
on the front line. I mean, women who were working in beauty shops that you would easily ignore. They're the ones that gathered people in under the guise of, oh, we're getting our hair done. But to actually radicalize them to the point of, no, we need to be in the streets. We need to be marching. That's amazing. Yeah. Besides Ella Baker and Fannie Lou Hamer, there's so many women that have been participating in these types of social activism, just as you heard in the intro with Diane Nash, who was part of the Freedom Rides. She too, in many ways, you know, challenged authority, white authority, in the best way she knew how, because of how important it was to demonstrate and force others to understand that black people should be seen as equal and treated as such. Educators, I think, especially now that we are bringing in these these females, these female roles into history, because I don't think that we talk enough about females, about people in the LGBTQ plus community, um, because they are part of history. We don't talk about them enough, though. So, how do we continue to incorporate this into our history lessons, um, so that? you know, the children are learning about what's happened in the past, but also just so that they can be better citizens for now. We can talk about it by by grounding it in the civil rights movement campaigns with particular uh, individuals such as Bayard Rustin, who was a key, key uh, constructor and organizer for the March on Washington. He was the one that helped Dr. Martin Luther King understand practices of non-violent strategies, but he was homosexual and was not allowed to bring any uh, activism for the queer community into any of their, their concerns. The same could be said for women like Dorothy Height, who not only fought for inequality of race, but also gender. And so the intersectionality of these modes of oppression are are still with us that we need to fight. And and many people, many activists are still doing that today. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it is really important and vital that we can bring this into the, our conversations in the classroom. And I'm sure that many educators out there will be very thankful um, to have this kind of information now and be able to give it over to our students. Yeah, because young people are exposed to as much activism now, yeah. then eh, now sorry, as, as they were then, um, it's a very different kind of activism. Mm. Um, but they de- they definitely they see it. They get an understanding of what it signifies and what people are are looking for. So it's a really effective way to sort of immerse them in the the time period that they are learning about by comparing it, you know, to just now. You know, I mean, one of the, the four capacities is that they should be responsible citizens. Yeah. And part of that is educating and education and awareness of other ethnicities, other um, uh, sexualities, other genders. And they don't need to agree with it. You know, they are still entitled to their own opinion on certain things. But so long as they are educated and aware and understand what is going on, then everything that we do is successful. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, as well though we are at the end of the day teaching to an exam Mm -hmm. at higher Um, is there any kind of key analysis or evaluation points that 
we think that we need to get to across to the students to prepare them for this exam? I would say for this essay in particular, um, publicity is really the key point of analysis. Um, obviously, there is a, a, a distinct focus on how they actually and physically um, and literally moved the movement forward uh, in terms of you know a Supreme Court ruling or um, formation of a, an organisation. But particularly for this one, and it's the same with the, a lot of movements that you study throughout history, the publicity is the key component. How did they make people aware? How did they get people involved? How did they get the word across um, you know, homes, towns, cities, countries? about what was going on. So for me, when I am teaching it, it's always how much of an impact did this have? How many people would have heard about this? So obviously, again, your your dominant factor in this one is Martin Luther, Dr. Martin Luther King. His command of the media was obviously quite extraordinary, but the bus boycott did a significant amount. You know, the double V campaign did a significant amount. Um, so how can you make sure that you are quantifying as best as you can the impact and the sort of media out outlay that that particular factor has had. Yeah, I think that's actually quite a good point for the pupils to take with them into the exam because it's easy for them to compare. When you talk to them now about, for example, social media, and I tell them, you know, um, you put something on your Instagram story, it could it can blow up mm -hmm. in minutes. So how were they doing that back then without that kind of social media, other forms of media? And I feel that really kind of hits home with them and they, they understand it mm -hmm. and it, you know, they remember it as well. It's easy for them to then go on the exam and be like, right, how do we get things to blow up at, mm -hmm. you know, media, that kind of thing? What Absolutely. do we use? Yeah. But the media and the publicity was just the vehicle to advertise or magnify what their specific strategy was. So Right, each campaign had a very specific strategy, yeah. whether we're talking about the sit-ins, whether we're talking about um, uh, trying to desegregate the, the mass transportation terminals, mm -hmm. or whether we're talking about voting rights and, and trying to change the illiteracy rates, or trying to uh, basically challenge black poverty and the low mm -hmm. rates of employment for, for disenfranchised people. Thank you so much to both Dr. Peggy Bernash and Anne McMillan for joining us today. Some of the key advice I think we can take from today's episode is, having pupils create their own timelines throughout the year to help with key dates, events, and organizations. This is also a great way for them to take ownership of their own learning. Also, the large involvement of women in the civil rights movement, those behind the scenes in the beauty stores creating that grassroots movement, and those such as Ella Baker who challenged the views of Dr Martin Luther King Jr. This is a great evaluation point for our pupils to use in their essays. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Podcasting the Past. Don't forget, you can check out the link in the podcast description to access our tools and resources. Thank you and see you next time on Podcasting the Past, where we will be discussing Key Issue 6, an assessment of the effectiveness of the civil rights movement in meeting the needs of black Americans up to 1968.